Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. So, conference championship weekend. Very good week of football. Not quite the divisional round, but it was very, very good. All right. I mean, that that Bengals and Chiefs game, that was a pretty damn good game. And although the Rams and 49ers game wasn't quite as high scoring as people would have liked compared to, you know, if, of course, the Bills and Chiefs game, it was still a good game. At least it was competitive the entire way. Although both teams were pretty sloppy in terms of how they played it. But I'd rather that than just an absolute blowout, you know? As long as it's a close game, I'll find a way to enjoy it. That's always been how I watch football. Whether it's a game where a total of, I don't know, 20 points is scored. Or a game where a total of 90 points is scored. I don't really care. As long as it's, as long as it is close... I'll watch it. I've always been like that. I'm very easily entertained. All right? I just don't want it to be a blowout like all those games in the wild card round were like because that was just way too many blowouts. No one wanted to watch that. No one. And I think the Super Bowl that we're getting in two weeks, that looks that looks like a good one. I think these are two fan favorite teams. Everyone loves Joe Burrow. Everyone loves Matthew Stafford. These are two teams that I would love to see hold Lombardi at the end of the year. And I hope both teams get a chance to. You know, the Rams have been going all in just to get to where they are right now. And Cincinnati has been going through a very tough couple of years. And, you know, they still haven't won a Super Bowl in franchise history. Maybe they get their first one this year, right? That would be extremely exciting. Cincinnati has a super loyal fan base, and a lot of those people want to see a Super Bowl. And, I mean, same thing with Rams fans. Not necessarily the L.A. Rams fans, but I know there's still some diehards all the way in St. Louis that still want to see the Rams win a Super Bowl. And even Detroit fans want Stafford to win. Broncos fans want Von Miller to win one. Hell, maybe there's Giants fans that want to see OBJ win one, right? I mean, this is a really good Super Bowl matchup. I'm really excited for it. But before I get into the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, I want to dedicate like the first half of this podcast to all the news that was released. Yet again, I have two weeks to go over all this stuff, but I just want to make it clear. I'm going over the conference championship and the Super Bowl in this episode, all right? I'm not going to talk about it much next week because next week I have a pretty special episode a lot of you are going to enjoy. I'm doing my own Goal Line Podcast Awards. You know how there's, like, the NFL awards with, like, Offensive Player of the Year, MVP, all that stuff? I want to do my own version of that, and it's going to be through the podcast, and it's not just going to be Offensive Player of the Year, MVP, stuff like that. It's going to be a lot more. Of course, you got Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, all that stuff. But I also added a lot of rewards that aren't normally there, and I think that they're really unique, and I think that the NFL would like to add some of these awards, some awards that I would have loved to see over the multiple years that I've been watching football. You know, like the most improved player, the most disappointing player, the playoffs MVP, rotational player of the year, kind of like the NBA sixth man of the year, best free agency signing player of the year instead of MVP, because I don't really like the phrasing of that award. It makes it so only a quarterback can win it. I'm not really much of a fan. Many more awards, right? And these are all things that I like to kind of do in my head, but I never really like put that out in the public. Now that I have a little bit of a platform to share these on, I think I'm going to dedicate an episode of the podcast to it. You know, that week in between the conference championship and the Super Bowl, there's not any football. I mean, there's the Pro Bowl, but I mean, it's the Pro Bowl. Who cares? There's not really much to talk about, and I want to dedicate 
an episode to these awards I'm talking about. And it's not just going to be awards because I'm also going to do my own version of the pro of the all pro team. Because if you ask me, I think the all pro, all pro team is kind of a joke. It's too much of a popularity contest. I want to do my own version of it. And I think I'll do a pretty damn good job. You guys can be the judge of that next week when I drop it. Anyway, let's focus on this episode first. There's a lot of news. A lot of news for me to go over. And I want to go over some of it. Of course, I'm going to avoid. This is the only time I'm going to mention it. So if you came here just to hear, for some reason, me of all people to talk about it. Here's like the 20 seconds I'm going to dedicate to it. I am not talking about the Brian Flores entire thing. I'm not touching that with a 50-foot pole. Do I care about it? Of course, it's the biggest story in the league right now. Okay? But I am a 15-year-old. I don't know enough about politics to actually talk about that stuff. I care about the sport of football. If it impacts the league... And it probably will. Then I'll talk about the impacts that it's made. But I'm not going to go into the entire civil rights and all that shit. I I don't want to say I don't care for it. But I'm not someone. I'm not the type of resource that you want to be talking about that. Alright, I am 15. It is not my place to talk about that. I just like to talk about funny 40-yard passes to other six-foot guys and then watch them run really fast. That's what I do. I watch scoreboards go up and down and analyze it. That's what I do. I don't talk about civil rights and all that stuff. Okay? That's someone else's job. Go to, like, uh, Ben Shapiro or someone like that. Have them talk about it. Uh, that's That's not what I do. That's not what this podcast is about. So I'm going to talk about the other news that I'm in a way better spot to talk about. The Washington Commanders, as the Washington football team wants to be called now. Not a big fan of the name. It's not the worst. It could be way worse. I feel like there's better names they could have picked. A lot of people hate this name. And I mean, I kind of get it. How do you chant Commanders, right? Like, let's go Commanders. I I don't know. That doesn't sound right. It could get better. But to me, that doesn't sound right. But normally when a name first changes, it doesn't sound right. It takes a little bit. takes like a year. So let's see how bad it sounds in a year. Right now, um, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't hate it. I mean, it, it... I could say it, as long as I could pronounce it, I'm fine with it, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a solid name. Isn't It, it isn't anything special. I feel like Washington Warriors would have been a really cool name, as basic as that sounds. Just not, I'm not necessarily a fan, but I don't hate it. And I'm, a, I'm aware the Washington football team name sucked. I mean... It was a really funny name. I'm not denying that, but it, it wasn't a good name. It was far from it. So, yeah, Commanders, compared to Washington football team, isn't that bad. But the the jerseys? Oh, my God. Sure, yeah, the Commanders beat the Washington football team in terms of name, but the jerseys, it's not close. And the Washington football team jerseys weren't even that good. They were smooth. I liked them. Like, they were above average. As crazy as it is, I liked the Washington football team jerseys. Although they were just a interim, just bridge jersey, so they could stall a little bit to completely rebrand. We knew the rebrand was coming. I thought that they were some pretty damn good jerseys. I liked them. They were smooth. The helmets looked sick. I like the helmets a lot. And they weren't anything special, okay? They didn't do anything that great, but I just think you look at it and it just looks like, oh, yeah, that is a football jersey. I mean, they're called the Washington football team. I hope that they have a football jersey. But it just, like, has that look. Like, it doesn't look too basic. 
and it's not like it's bad to look too basic, but you know it has a little bit of, it, of of its own uniqueness to it. The colors looked fine, and just the design of it, the way that it was, it just blended together. It just looked smooth. That was the perfect way to describe it. It was just a smooth looking jersey. All the both of their jerseys were. They're home and away. I liked it. Their new ones are horrible. Two of the three I hate. I, I I mean, like, two of them I think are up there for worst jerseys in the league. The white one is terrible. I think that, that might be the worst jersey in the entire NFL right now. And then the black one I also hate. First off, how does that look like a Washington football team jersey? Or, sorry, Washington commander jersey. My bad. Their, their normal burgundy and yellow one, that one... I mean, it doesn't look good, but it doesn't look as bad as the other two. The other two look so bad. I hate it. I hate those two. They look terrible. The black the black and yellow one is so bad. Some people like it. And if you like it, good on you. But with the W in the middle of the helmet, it's just ill, gross, disgusting. And I, the jerseys legitimately look like FCF team jerseys for those of you that don't know what the fcf is that's the fan controlled football team or fan controlled football league fcf jerseys not even xfl jerseys because the xfl jerseys actually look kind of competent the these new washington jerseys these new washington commander jerseys they look the same as like all these other fcf jerseys for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, look them up. Look up. I, I'm pretty sure there was a team called the Glacier Boys. Uh, there was another team called the Beasts. I want to say, just look up fan-controlled football jerseys. Look at them, and then look at these Washington jerseys. They look similar. I think that they do. I think that these look like fan-controlled football jerseys, which isn't isn't a good thing, because those jerseys also don't look great. I would say that these look a little bit worse. Some of them do, at least. The white one looks worse. The white the white one is one of the worst football jerseys I've seen for a professional football league. Whether that's college, NFL, FCF, XFL, AAF. They're terrible. They're, this was a horrible rebranding. And I mean, this franchise... we. This is what we should expect from Washington, whether it's the Washington football team, Washington commanders, Washington Redskins. doesn't matter what they're called. It's still the same Dan Snyder-led team. And Dan Snyder is a terrible owner. And he, he couldn't even hide this well. You know, we knew that they were called the commanders weeks in advance because it got leaked, because they did a terrible job hiding it. These jerseys look horrible. The logo looks basically the same as the Washington football team logo, and they had two years to change it. I mean, that Andy does a lot of other stupid stuff with all the like sexual assault allegations. And, and I mean, has he ran the team all that well in terms of success? No. Right? Like, when was the last time... Washington made it to like a conference championship. Not recently. Yeah, Daniel Snyder, just sell the team. Just just sell them. I I honestly like them more than when they were the Washington football team. I do. At least that was like funny. This is just like bad. I don't like it at all. Anyway, let's move on to stuff that I actually like affects the sport more than just jerseys and logos and stuff like that. I want to talk about these head coach hirings that I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about. So Matt Eberflus to the Bears. That's the first one I want to talk about. People are mad that the Bears hired a defensive guy. Something I understand a little bit, right? You have a young quarterback. You have a lot of young talent on the offensive side of the ball. Actually, Darnell Mooney. You got a young offensive line that you know, you don't have all the building blocks yet, but you have some of them. Uh, Cole Komet 
is a young tight end. And yeah, I mean, the offense definitely needs work, and they have some building blocks there. So I understand why you would want an offensive guy. And I think that the Bears knew to try and get an offensive guy. But the reality is, Eberflus is no joke. Like, he's a good coach. It's clear. Like, he's head coaching material. At least I think so. And the fact that they chose him over any offensive guy tells you, you know, we were trying to get an offensive guy. We really were. But Eberflus was so much better than every other candidate we still chose to go with a defensive guy. And that's fine if it pays off, but that's only if it pays off. If Eberflus isn't as good as I think he is, and he isn't as good as clearly the Bears owner does, as the Bears owner thinks he is, you know, then, yeah, they're, they're going to get shit on by their entire fan base. I'm not denying it. But, I mean, I like the hiring right now. I think he could do a good job with the defense. If they get the right offensive coordinator, Justin Fields could still be good. It's not impossible to succeed as a quarterback with a defensive-minded coach. Look at Belichick and Brady, right? Like, obviously, that's the first example that comes into your head. How about John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson? Ron Rivera and Cam Newton, right? Like, there's a couple of examples of a defensive-minded coach still having a good quarterback. Of course, it's easier to have a good quarterback with an offensive-minded coach because, well, they're offensive-minded for a reason. But if you get the right offensive coordinator, you bring in the right people, and maybe your quarterback can just teach himself, you'll be fine. And you all know, I'm not a big Justin Fields guy, but if they bring in, like, a Pep Hamilton to be their offensive coordinator or someone like that that's notorious for making these raw quarterbacks into absolute studs. Hey, I mean, a Pep, a guy like Pep Hamilton, if he if he became the Bears' offensive coordinator, my opinion on Justin Fields would quickly be changing. All right, because I I trust Pep Hamilton. <laughs> I trust him a lot. He's gonna get an offensive coordinator job. It's just the question is, what team will it be? New York? Will it be the Giants? Right? Maybe maybe it will be Chicago. And then Justin Fields all the all of a sudden becomes a stud. All I know is whatever team Pep Hamilton does become the offensive coordinator for, you're gonna have their quarterback become an absolute stud. Especially if the Bears do it. Because Justin Fields has the physical ability. It's just the mental stuff that is really hard to teach your quarterback, and not many people can do it. Pep Hamilton definitely can. That would be a great fit if they could get Pep Hamilton. But that, maybe they won't. And maybe they're just stuck with Eberflus and whoever they bring in an offensive coordinator. Most likely, Fields doesn't take that next step, okay? But if you do put a lot of focus and you really, really want to get a guy like Pep Hamilton or just some really smart offensive coordinator, I see. I keep saying Pep Hamilton like he's the only example. There's other, There's other coaches that you could get. If they get in someone that you could trust with Justin Fields, this hiring won't be that bad because I like Eberflus. He's good. It's just not necessarily the best fit for the Giant, for the Bears, sorry. But it could work. So Bears fans don't get too pessimistic yet. And, I mean, Eberflus is a vocal leader who teaches all his players very good technique, at least defensively. You look at what he did in Indianapolis. He proved he can make a top-tier defense out of just two star players and a bunch of nobodies. Look at what he did with just DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard to build around. He had nothing else. He had, like, Bobby Okariki was probably the next best player on the defense. Quiddy Pay was underwhelming. Xavier, Xavier Rhodes was one of their cornerbacks, like, they didn't have a lot of talent. They just had two very, very talented players that they built the entire defense around. And their scheme isn't anything special, okay? They just teach really, really good technique. And he's a good he's a good teacher. He, he doesn't do some confusing stuff with the X's and O's. Don't get me wrong. But he'll make those X's and those O's way better 
so good that he doesn't need to do anything special with them, make them do some weird stunt. He doesn't need his players to do some crazy stuff. He just needs his players to listen to him and learn the fundamentals, learn the basics. And then that defense can continuously run just a basic cover three, and it'll still work because their players are so good at it. Now, the next head coach hiring that I want to talk about, Nathaniel Hackett to Denver. This happened, like, I want to say like an hour, not even, after the Bears hired Eberflus. I love Hackett. Those of you that listen to my podcast, I think it was two weeks ago. Maybe it was three weeks ago. I talked about this. I think Hackett, I thought he was going to go to the New York Giants. And that was mainly just me using wishful thinking, right? Because they said that they wanted their GM to make the decision. They didn't hire their GM at the time. So it was just like, you know what? I'm going to pick the person I think would fit the best. And I thought Nathaniel Hackett would be a perfect fit because they struggle on the offensive line. Nathaniel Hackett's scheme doesn't really need the offensive line to be all that good because it's just quick passes a lot. But, you know... Turns out Denver got him instead. And that's fine. Because I think Nathaniel Hackett will be able to do even more. I love Hackett. And I was expecting him to go to a team like New York, like Houston, or some not-so-good team. Maybe the Dolphins. Just some team that doesn't really have many pieces, can't really contend right away, but at least they'll have Nathaniel Hackett to help them rebuild. And then when they're ready to contend, they have a damn good head coach to help him do it. That is, if he's head coaching material, not just an offensive coordinator, something that we never know until they actually start coaching. But I expected him to make a bad defense good. But here's what makes it so special down here in Denver. He already has, like, a good offense or, like, the building blocks are a good offense. Now I'm excited to make it to see him make that good offense great, right? I mean, even with the quarterback situation, it, this is still a good offense. You look at the players that they have, this can be a good offense at least. Then you add a offensive mind like Nathaniel Hackett that will add a very complex scheme that works super well, and... You got a top-tier offense. That's what this could be. Even without a very good quarterback. And then you keep in mind that this hiring increases their chances at getting someone like Aaron Rodgers. Or not someone like, very likely that they get Aaron Rodgers now because Nathaniel Hackett was the offensive coordinator in Green Bay. And apparently, Aaron Rodgers really, really likes him. If that's the case... Rodgers to Denver, all of a sudden, this team is in the Super Bowl discussion, I think so. I legitimately think that. I'm not just saying that. I legitimately think they bring in a guy like Rodgers, this offense becomes, I think it could be the best in the league if you add Aaron Rodgers. I still think Jerry Judy is going to break out. I expected it this year. It didn't really happen. I think it's going to happen next year now. Cortland Sutton's really good. Tim Patrick is great. Good offensive line. And Javante Williams, I'm telling you, he doesn't really get as many carries as as he should. But you'll see. When he starts getting the bulk of those carries, he's going to light it up. He's going to be so good. The defense is a good unit, too. So I, I think Hackett could... I think Hackett can make this team really, really good. I think if this was the second best hiring. What is the best hiring? I love Dabble to New York. I think that, that was the best head coach hiring. And maybe that's just because I live in New York. And I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, now Dabble is really going to be the turning point for this team that has been very middle of the pack for a decently long amount of time. Maybe, maybe that's why. And I've just been like hypnotized into believing this. And everyone just spoken into existence, basically. But, I mean, you look at it, this is a guy who has experience coaching both sides of the ball. And 
I mean, you look at how good the Bills' offense is, and here's the big advantage he has. You look at a guy like Hackett, right? He's an offensive-minded coach that was under another offensive-minded coach, so that makes you think, right? How much did LaFleur help him? How much of that really good season from the Packers' offense, how much of that was LaFleur, and how much of that was Hackett? Right? Like, like that's what makes it really tough. But then you look at a guy like Dabble, who's the offensive coordinator under Sean McDermott, who's a defensive-minded coach. Therefore, meaning this is Dabble's offense. That makes you a lot more optimistic, does it not? Makes me a lot more optimistic, personally. And then, like I said, coached on both sides of the ball. That's always a good thing to hear. Then you look at what Dabble did to Josh Allen, right? Josh Allen went from, like, a bottom seven starting quarterback in the NFL to the best in the league right now, in my opinion. And it's all because of Dabble. Dabble is the reason that he developed like that. Dabble made that Bills offense great. He did. He was a huge reason why his scheme is great. Love it. And hold hold, just do what works. And that's a style of football that I know Giants fans really want. Because like I said, I live in New York. I hear what New Yorkers say. They all want, or most of them, just want someone that will just do what works. We're a really good team at running the ball. Okay, let's run it. Look at what the Bills did with Dabble. Dabble knew that they were a really good throwing team, so they would go full halves of football games without running the ball because they were so good at throwing it. That's why, like, that's the simple stuff, right? Which is why it surprises you that people won't do it. Some coaches won't do it. Some coaches just overthink it, overcomplicate it. Dabble doesn't do that, and that's something I know Giants fans want. Dabble is a great, great pick. For I mean, I thought any team that got Dabble was going to be really happy. New York is a great fit for him, I'm telling you. Now, the next head coach hiring I want to talk about, Josh McDaniels. Hired by the Raiders. He he's a smart he's a smart coach. Okay, don't get me wrong. In terms of the X's and O's, there's not many coaches better than him. There's not many offensive minds better than him. But it's very likely the Raiders they they regret this, I think. I think that the Raiders offense could potentially be really good under Josh McDaniels. Do not get me wrong. But I still don't think McDaniels is, like, head coaching material. I know it's been a decade since he got his last chance, but he was he was pretty bad last time. And his flaw wasn't that he was, like, he made bad play calls and he did a bad job designing the offense. It wasn't anything like that. It was just he wasn't, like, a player's coach at all. I think that's going to be the problem. He doesn't build a staff that he communicates with. He doesn't do a good job communicating overall. He's always been like a, okay, I'm the offensive coordinator. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to get it done by myself. I'll do it all by myself. He's always been that guy. He's like Mr. Solo Dolo. That's what he does. Problem is, when you're the head coach, you can't necessarily do that. It's more of like a group effort. You got to communicate more. Josh McDaniels isn't really a people's person. I hope he proves me wrong, but I mean, that was his problem in Denver. I don't expect this to pan out. If it does pan out, Raiders offense will be damn good. And I think the Raiders also proved this year, like they want a player's coach. Look at what what did Basakia do well that led to them making it to the playoffs despite multiple off-the-field issues. He was a player's coach. He put the players first. He talked to them. He did all that shit. He really, like, motivated them. It's like, like a Pete Carroll, like a Dan Campbell, someone like that, just a player's coach. That's what the Raiders want.
Or at least that's what I think the Raiders want. McDaniels is the opposite of that. And I think the Raiders really need that because they have built a culture of off-the-field issues. So they need someone to, like, get on their ass. Josh McDaniels doesn't strike me as someone that will do that. But, hey, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know the guy. I never talked to Josh McDaniels. But as far as I heard, that was a big problem in Denver. And, you know, maybe his decade of being a Packers or Patriots offensive coordinator for a little bit, maybe that fixed it for him. But as far as I'm aware, I don't like the hiring unless he changed a lot, which I doubt. So the last hiring that I want to talk about, and this one isn't really official yet. I heard about it like a couple hours ago. The Vikings are hiring Kevin O'Connell. It's not going to be official until after the Super Bowl because Kevin O'Connell is on the Rams. He's the offensive coordinator. And, I mean, kind of hard to tell with this. He's a young coach, really young. And the entire, I think the entire hiring is a, it's a wild card. The entire offensive coordinator under Sean McVay thing, kind of a double-edged sword for him. Because that's really what his reputation is coming from completely. That's all you're basing off. On one hand, McVay is an offensive mastermind, and being able to learn from someone like him is a huge advantage for anyone. On the other hand, Sean McVay could have been doing most of the work for that offense to be this successful. He also had an insanely, insanely talented team this year. He was only the offensive coordinator for the Rams for two years. Last year, they were a better defensive team than they were offense. Most of their success came from their defense being good, but their offense wasn't necessarily bad. I mean, no, it wasn't even like close to bad. It was a good offense. This year, the offense was electric, but they also had Matthew Stafford. Cooper Cup is having the best receiver season of all time. Like, not not really. It, it's difficult to not succeed in that situation, you know? Especially when you got, like, the best or one of the best offensive minds in the sport as your head coach, making sure you're doing everything right. Like, it's hard to mess that up. That's why I find it difficult to give O'Connell this job and be, like, confident in it, you know? Uh, at least that's my opinion on it. Maybe I'm wrong. I th- I just think he's a wild card. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad hiring. I'm just saying, like, I could see it going wrong. Maybe it goes right. I don't know. Personally, if I were them, I would have went with, like, someone safer. Personally, I, I mean, hey... I'm hoping at least someone throws a job at Flores, even though, like, his problem with coordinators, like, yeah, that's worrying. I think New Orleans is going to give him the job, though, right? Or maybe not New Orleans, but I think someone gives him the job. I think Houston, uh, that's very likely. Flores goes there because of the entire Deshaun Watson thing. Another coach I think should get a job, Bill O'Brien, I think. To me, it was clear, like, he's not a he's not a GM, but he's definitely a head coach. He's definitely an NFL head coach. Like, those are the two guys I think should get a job, definitely. And I think o- O'Brien on the Vikings, I could absolutely see that. No? Maybe that's just me, but I think that that would fit really, really well. But Kevin O'Connell, I mean, this will definitely be a wild card, man. Definitely, without a doubt. Speaking of Kevin O'Connell, let me tell you a really interesting statistic I found out about him very recently around when he got hired, which happened like a couple hours at least at the time that I'm recording this a couple hours ago. Kevin O'Connell was Tom Brady's backup when Brady was in his eighth year and he's getting a head coach job. A couple time, a couple days after Brady retires, that is ins- that is insane. That really just puts into perspective 
just how long Brady was playing for. But he didn't just play long, as many of you know. He played in 10 Super Bowls, winning seven of them. In most of the Super Bowls, he was the sole reason that his team would be hoisting a Lombardi at the end of it. Sole reason. The thing that makes Brady so special compared to these other all-time great quarterbacks like Peyton Manning, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and all these other guys was that there wasn't supposed to be a Tom Brady. No one looked at the 199th pick of the 2000 NFL draft and said, oh yeah, this is going to be the greatest player to ever touch a football. Hell, I highly doubt anyone said that he would even be starting. Then September 21st of 2001 came around. Drew Bledsoe rolled out, turned up field to run in a game against the Jets, and he got absolutely drilled by Mo Lewis. Then that resulted in Brady playing his first meaningful snaps in an NFL game. 21 years later, he ranks first in nearly every important quarterback stat. He's a player that was never involved in too much off-field drama, which is one of the things I commend him for. No one ever bashed his leadership or work ethic or his mentality. All of those three were legendary, by the way. I was born in 2006. I haven't seen a single season of football where Brady wasn't a starting quarterback. Think about that. My entire lifespan, this guy has been a starting quarterback. Every single year of my 15-year life. And then keep in mind, I always had to see him in the playoffs too. It's not like he was just conveniently starting. It's not like he had his ups and downs. Every year was his ups. I didn't there wasn't a year where I can make an argument for the guy not being like one of those top guys in this league. I remember a period around the mid 2010s where everyone hated Tom Brady, at least around where I lived, because he was just so good. Every time he made it to the Super Bowl, people found themselves saying, "Again?" That's the thing. When you're as successful as he was, everyone hates you. Everyone because that, that's the sign that you're good. When people get pissed at your winning, not because they dislike who you are as a player, but because they're just sick of it, that just tells you you're one of the best of that sport. When he went to Tampa, I said to myself, I'm going to have a different perspective on Brady this year. Because I realized it's coming to an end, isn't it? He's a... He, that like when he became a free agent and when he went to Tampa Bay, that's when I noticed like this player that I grew up hating my entire life. He's going to be out of the league soon. I'm not going to be able to see Tom Brady again. I'm only going to have a year, turns out two years left to watch the guy play. I've always seen him as a player that I respected but disliked. When he had success in Tampa, I just looked at him and thought he was an unstoppable, dominant force. Keep in mind, he was 43 years old at the time. When he went to Tampa and had success there, I found it impossible to do anything but just appreciate his greatness because that's all you could do at that point. That's all you could do. It That hatred that I had in the past when I was younger just became respect. Just became respect and just... He loved the He's everything the game should be. His competitive nature, his work ethic, his lack of off-field issues for the most part. That's what you want out of most players. 
every player, if every player had Tom Brady's work ethic, if every player was the type of leader Brady is, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. Just, I, I'm just telling you, these players would be much better if they were more like Brady. Everyone, whether they're a quarterback, wide receiver, offensive lineman, they can learn from Brady because his biggest strengths weren't, you know, his ability to throw the ball, his ability to run. His biggest strengths were he was willing to outwork you. He was willing to make sure everyone around him was outworking every other player on every other team. He was completely selfless. But at the same time, he was extremely confident. And that is a very difficult balance to have. There will never be another Tom Brady. Some people look at his success and say, I could do that because of how easy his throws look. He he doesn't make the flashy throws Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes do. I get it. And whenever a quarterback comes into the league and he doesn't look overly talented and he doesn't have the strongest arm and he's not very good at scrambling, people say they're the next Tom Brady. It isn't as easy as it looks. Because if it was, there would be more Tom Brady's, wouldn't there? There will be a new GOAT. Like, it's inevitable. There will be another greatest player of all time. But no one will do it quite like Brady. No one will go from a... a, 199th overall pick to the greatest player of all time. No one will ever get close to that again, especially doing it the way he did because he was extremely unique in the way he did it because he he was exactly what a quarterback should be. I mean, he was incredibly smart. The, the smartest player ever, I think it's safe to say. His ability to read the defense is unparalleled. Just, you gotta applaud him. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces. All right. So, I'm going to start by talking about the Chiefs and Bengals game. I'm just going to talk about this game the NFC Championship, and the Super Bowl. It is midnight right now on a school night. This happens way too much when I have to record the podcast. I should fix it. But uh, right now, there's nothing I could do. I got to hurry this up a little bit. So I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to go too in-depth on these matchups. But, you know, I'll, I'll still focus and try and get as much details out as I can without wasting too much time. All right, so that Bengals game, it was an incredible game. Wow. Just an absolute shift of momentum halfway through. The Bengals were getting completely outplayed in the first half. And, I I mean, it was just every aspect of the game was landing towards the Chiefs. You look, it's crazy that the Bengals ended up winning. The Chiefs defense completely killed the Bengals offense. And the Bengals defense couldn't stop that amazing Chiefs offense until the last Chiefs offensive drive. That was really the changing point of the entire game. The stop the Bengals got before halftime was the turning point of the game. So you want about Mahomes being one of the best physical talents we've ever seen at the quarterback position. His decision to throw the, the ball to Tyreek was completely brain dead. That was the worst thing he could have done. In that situation, right, with five seconds left on the clock, if you're going to go for it on third down, there's a couple of things that you could do, right? And keep in mind, they're on the five-yard line, so they're just going to get three if there's still time left on the clock after the play and the clock's paused. You either throw the ball into the end zone because you see an open receiver, and if no one is open, which it didn't look like anyone was open, you throw the ball, like, at someone's feet. 
or you throw it out of bounds after rolling out or something. Just get the ball out of your hands before the clock runs out. And do not let someone catch it if they're not in the end zone. Because if that's what happens, the clock keeps running, Mahomes. And if the clock keeps running, you get zero points. And the that wouldn't be much of a problem if the Bengals didn't get that stop and they saw that as, you know, we just got that stop. Now we're really pumped up. Now we're ready to play for the rest of the game. Now we're really ready to compete. Because that happening gave them a complete morale boost, and that morale boost is what made them win. In the second half, the Bengals held the Chiefs to three points. After the game, I was wondering how they did this. And I was wondering what specific scheme change did they make. So I watched the All-22, and I saw they only rushed three for, like, the majority of the second half. This allowed them to have an extra defender to put on Tyreek Hill, who was absolutely obliterating the Bengals' defense. So they put this other defender on Tyreek Hill, and it really helped. Tyreek Hill had no catches in the second half. And Mahomes really was just stumped for the entire second half. In the entire first half, the Chiefs were obliterating Cincinnati outside the numbers. Mahomes was 11 for 11 outside the numbers in the first half. What about the second half? He was 1 for 8. The Bengals focused on stopping the outside number passes. That was like their main focus. That was their main priority. They took that out of the game, and the Chiefs offense couldn't do anything. Uh, I mean, and when I say anything, I mean anything. They scored three points in the entire second half, and the Bengals' offense was just lighting it up. The Chiefs' defense, I don't know what happened to them, but they just fell apart. They just fell apart. They couldn't get the pressure on Burrow that they needed, and that led to the Bengals just marching up and down the field, at least in the second half. In the first half, it was a different game. So the game eventually goes into overtime, right? The Chiefs win the coin toss. They get the ball first, and what do they do? Mahomes got extremely greedy. He should have thrown a pick six, but Eli Apple dropped it. And Mahomes got greedy, chucked the ball downfield. I don't remember who it was to, but Jesse Bates made an amazing play. And I'm pretty sure it was Von Bell that got the pick. Might have not been Von Bell, but I know someone on Cincinnati got a pick because Jesse Bates made an amazing play to tip the ball out of, it might have been Byron Pringle. Just someone on the Chiefs. He tipped the ball away from the Chiefs receiver, and either Von Bell or some Cincinnati defensive back picked the ball off, and Cincinnati marched down the field and won the game. Just like that. Because Mahomes was arrogant, Mahomes was greedy, two times costing them the game. He was, he was reckless, man. As good as he is physically. Mentally, he's not like... On that top tier. When he when Mahomes like catches up mentally with the game, which he will eventually, once he does, that's when he's gonna that's when the goat talk really stalks. Really starts. But until then, it's gonna be hard for him to win these games, man. It's gonna be hard. He won one of them, but now the league is starting to figure him out a little bit more. And he's gonna have to figure out how to make it harder for defenses to figure them out, you know? All right, so let's move over to the NFC Championship game. 49ers versus Rams in L.A., although it was basically a home game for the 49ers because so many San Francisco fans were there. Not many Rams fans were. The 49ers win this game if they had a somewhat reliable quarterback, which Jimmy Garoppolo is not. Debo made a great play on a screen pass, taking it all the way into the end zone. I mean, it was an amazing run after catch. And basically, it really it really got interesting in the fourth quarter, right? Because, I mean, for most of the game, the 49ers were in control, right? I, I mean, that's undeniable. The 49ers were in control. You know, Matthew Stafford, 
he's a gunslinger. Like, that's always what he's been. And because he's so good at slinging the rock into these tight windows, he gets overconfident. And that led to him throwing a pick inside the red zone because he thought he could just squeeze the ball into the perfect spot, which is something he could do a lot. And he tried it there. I mean, the 49ers were ready for it. They made a play. So that sucks. But, I I mean, 49ers played a sloppy game. They were lucky Jaquisky, uh, Jaquisky Tart dropped an interception late in the game. But, I, I mean, the 49ers were also lucky that Jalen Ramsey dropped an interception. It was just a sloppy game all around, like I expected it to be. Because these are two quarterbacks that, I mean, I think Stafford's great. I don't think Garoppolo's great at all. But I, I think Stafford is very good. Problem is, his gunslinger mentality isn't something that I I would be comfortable with in the playoffs because it leads to sloppy play. That's what it does. I mean, you'll have those games where he'll light it up, sure, but then you also have the other games where he throws a couple of interceptions, single-handedly loses you the game. The lucky thing for the Rams, though, is that their defense was able to make up for it. Right? Their defense forced Garoppolo to throw the ball because they couldn't get they couldn't get anything going on the ground. Couldn't get anything going on the ground whatsoever that made Garoppolo have to win them the game and for the most part he was able to do it I mean would I say that Garoppolo played necessarily well no not really although the stat sheet really makes it look like it but if you were watching the game you would understand the main reason he was successful throwing the ball was because his receivers was wide open wide open and there were sometimes you would like overthrow a player I'm pretty sure George Kittle had no maybe I'm remembering wrong but George Kittle had a wide-open touchdown at some point in the game, and he overthrew him, which was just terrible, terrible. But, I mean, Garoppolo's been a liability. That's no secret. That's why they're going to move on to Trey Lance. Garoppolo is absolutely the liability, single-handedly the reason the 49ers lost this game. And, like I said, they were leading by a lot in halftime, I mean, in the fourth quarter. Problem is, you know, Stafford, when he gets into that fourth quarter, when he's behind, he becomes a menace. That's when he's at his best, okay? Like, fourth quarter, comeback Stafford, there's not many quarterbacks that could do it like him. You got Brady. You got, like, Big Ben. There's not many quarterbacks that could make a fourth quarter comeback quite like Stafford, man. He's great at it. That's one of his best things. And that's part of the reason that... This Rams team is so good, and I think that they're such a such a threat. Sean McVay is forty five and one when leading at halftime, right? So you you got to be leading at halftime, but at the same time, if you're leading by not enough in the fourth quarter, the Rams are great at coming back in the fourth quarter. So like, how do you beat them? You have to really, you have to have a really good first, second. And third quarter, you got to have the good first and second quarter so you keep the lead going into halftime. And that third quarter, you got to have a good third quarter so Stafford can't make a miraculous comeback in the fourth quarter. Like, that's just how it is. And you can run the ball a lot because Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd make it hard on you. This is just a tough team to match up against. It really is. They, no situational football, they play well under pressure. Problem is, like, they're sloppy. They turn the ball over. That's their problem. But their defense makes up for it. But, yeah, I mean, the 49ers, they're going to they're gonna find themselves to be really good if Trey Lance is that guy, which I think he may be able to be. I, I mean, he he seems like a 50-50 man. All I know is Garoppolo is clearly the liability, single-handedly the reason they lose games like this. Because everything needs to be perfect for him to be good. And then that interception late in the game was so bad. And it was all playoffs he's been screwing them over. The Packers game, he was terrible. The game against the Cowboys, he was trying to lose that for him, it looked like. But anyway, let's move over to the Super Bowl. Bengals and Rams. I, I mean, this is this is a great matchup. I was talking about it earlier. Two teams that everyone wanted to see in the Super Bowl. It's great that they were able to make it all the way. And, you know, I like that it's these two teams against each other because not only does the matchup seem interesting, these are two teams that completely juxtapose how to build teams. Both are correct options if you want to do it. You got a team like the Rams, right? 
that built their entire team by trading away draft picks and just going all in for this year. Their talent is not really homegrown. Their talent comes from other places. That's how they got most of their players. And they have a really good scheme, too, which is great. But then you got another team like the Bengals, which they're the exact opposite of the Rams. They drafted all their talent, and they're building it up themselves. As opposed to going all in for one season, they are building up talent to not just win this year, but win for multiple years in a row. That's why it's so good for them that they're making it this year because they have this year, and if they don't win, then they'll just win next year, the year after that. Like, this talent is going to be around for a while. Meanwhile, with the Rams, like, Von Miller is going to be gone soon. Matthew Stafford is going to be gone soon. Like, all these guys are going to be gone soon, and they don't have first-round picks to replace them. So you, it's very unlikely after, like, two years from now, the Rams, we might not even see them in the playoffs again for, like, a full four years, five years. Like, that should be expected because with their lack of draft capital, they're going to struggle to get young talent, man. So they're all in this year. I mean, that's no secret, but if you need to be reminded, there it is. So what do I think are the advantages that both teams have? And I'm going to analyze who I think will win based off these advantages. So my first major advantage that the Rams have that I think is going to be key, their defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line, huge advantage, huge advantage. I mean, that offensive line is a weakness on the team. I'm not denying it. Like it really clearly is. Everyone knows that. With Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd, I mean, Tennessee sacked Burrow nine times. Maybe the Rams get 10 or 11. That'd be crazy. So the Bengals, what's their big advantage? Their wide receiver again, their wide receiver core against the Rams cornerbacks, that's an advantage. Even though I think Jalen Ramsey is super good and everything, everyone knows that. The Bengals wide receiver core can go toe-to-toe with any cornerback group and cream them because they you have three wide receiver ones. Like it's just that simple. You have three wide receiver ones getting the ball from a high caliber quarterback that's great at reading the field. And it's just a more offensive league, man. This is more offensive league. You could see teams that have three wide receiver ones. You can't see many teams that have three cornerback ones, you know? Like that's not common. The Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. These guys are going to have a night, okay? T. Higgins had a really good game last week. I'm expecting another one this week. So what's the other big advantage for the Rams? I just put Cooper Cup just straight up. Like, he's he's downright unguardable, especially with Eli Apple, Mike Hilton. Like, there's not going to be anyone that can go toe-to-toe with the guy. He's too good for that. He's too good. They're not going to be able to stop him. Like, I don't know how the Bengals are going to stop him. And the reality is you're not going to. You just got to slow him down. That's it. So what's the advantage for the Bengals? The Bengals are very good at getting turnovers. Like, they're really opportunistic. When they have a chance to turn the ball over, they're going to do it. And like I just said with the Rams, they throw, or specifically Matthew Stafford, his gunslinger style of play results in these turnover-worthy plays. That's going to hurt them against a team that's really opportunistic opportunistic on the defensive side of the ball. I'm expecting the Bengals to get a turnover or two. And the reality is if the Bengals get two turnovers, they win. I think that severely. I really do. Especially if it's with the right field position. So, I I mean, I just talked about how Stafford could be a liability for the Rams. There's also a big advantage for them. That fourth quarter Stafford, like that's a key for this game. If the Bengals are only winning by like a possession, in the fourth quarter, I think the Rams easily win this game. I would put more money on the Rams winning if the Bengals are winning by a possession. Because Stafford is so, so good in the fourth quarter. He is so good at it. Now that Brady's out of the league, he's the best fourth quarter quarterback in the NFL. Like, I, I don't see how a guy like Eli Apple or... I don't know who on the defense is going to be able to stop Stafford in the fourth quarter because fourth quarter Stafford's a different animal. We've seen it this year, man, especially with Cooper Cup on top of that. Like, you're not – they don't know how to stop him. 
They're just going to have to pray that he doesn't get the ball enough. Maybe makes one of those stupid turnover plays, and they just hold the ball, chew the clock, make sure you see as little fourth-quarter Stafford as possible. And the other big, big, big advantage that the Bengals have is that the Rams are not a very good team running the ball, or at least they haven't been in a while. Okay, Cam Akers have been, has been lackluster, although he shows skill. He hasn't been a very efficient runner. Their offensive line, I mean, it's good. It just can't, It's a way better pass-blocking offensive line than it is run-blocking. And the Bengals' defensive line is no joke, even without Larry Ugonjobi. DJ Reader is a stud. And then you got guys like B.J. Hill, where the interception, very important interception. Trey Hendrickson's really good. Like, hey, the Bengals' run defense is no joke. Logan Wilson's a really good linebacker, no joke. So I think that this game will be low scoring, without a doubt. I think most of the matchups favor the defense, whether that's the Rams' defense or the Bengals' defense. And I think the Rams win. I could absolutely see the Bengals winning if Stafford turns the ball over too much. But I'm just hoping those turnovers, or I just expect those turnovers, and I'm expecting a turnover. I'm expecting at least one out of Stafford. But I think that turnover is going to be like, it's not going to give them great field position, or at least that's what I expect. If the Bengals get a turnover and it gives them really good field position and allows them to kick a field goal, then the Bengals will win. Like, if they're able to get a turnover with good field position, I think the Rams are going to give them a turnover but not in great field position. The Rams are going to get a stop, and the Bengals won't be able to take advantage. But may- maybe I'm wrong. This is a very close game. I'm really excited to see how it plays out. And, yeah, that is it for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I hope I see you again next week. Like I said, this next episode of the Goal Line Podcast is going to be a really interesting one. So feel free to solve for that. And I'll see you next week.